And so we're in this series that we're calling Made to Endure. And our tagline, as Nick mentioned last Sunday, is that endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. So Psalms 112, we're going to be considering verses 1 through 6. And um, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, you guys, because everything that I read, and actually we're reading from a different translation this morning, so you can feel free to look it up, but you can follow along on the big screen behind me. All the verses will be up on the big screen behind me. You can follow along. So I'd like you to think about this. I'd like all of you guys to think about this. Um, It's mind-blowing to me that we're in the 21st century, and there are billions of people um, around the world and people who are, who are worshiping God right now around the globe that because of what happened over 2,000 years ago, what happened over 2,000 years ago, followers of Jesus that lived in such a way that their faith endured the test of time and because of what they did, the way they lived their lives, they were able to pass this faith of theirs on and it continued to endure and now in the 21st century we have this faith in our hands it's it's mind-blowing to me to think about how just these group of you know a few a few people decided to to hold on their faith and pass this on live in such a way to pass this on and to me it's it's mind-blowing it has to be god and and so i just i thought about that and i thought man what is it about these people that about the way they lived their lives what did they do to get their faith to pass it on to to so we even have it today what was it about what they did so what i'm going to do today is i'm going to be it's going to be a little bit different um, I'm going to read this verse from the scripture, and then I'm going to talk a lot, and then I'm going to read one more verse at the end. And you guys might say, well, isn't that what you always do? Yeah, but to me, it's a little, maybe it's just me. Uh, it's, it's a, I feel like it's a little different. Maybe in my prep time, uh, it is a little different. So Psalm 112, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read selective parts through the verse uh, 6. So if you don't mind following along on the big screen behind me, so we can go through this together. And this is, so I need you guys to help me out, all right? I, I love some feedback here. So this is what David, th- this is David who wrote this, and this is what he says in verse one. He says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be what? Let's all say this aloud. Their children will be what? Successful everywhere. Those of you in this section over here, let me hear you guys say that one more time. Their children will be what? successful everywhere. Okay, this section right here in the middle, I need some DV love this morning. Their children will be successful. I mean, will be what? Help me out. Everywhere. Okay, good, good, good. And so their children will be successful everywhere, and an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. An entire generation. Their children will be successful everywhere. So if we are successful and our children are not followers of Jesus, are not followers of Christ, then maybe we're not as successful as we think we are, right? If, if we get all the money in the world, and yet we're not passing this on, the title of this talk is in passing this on, and yet we're, we're imparting godly, we're not imparting godly values to the next generation, maybe we have failed. As successful as we think we are, if I lead a church, and I'm not making disciples at home, then I have failed, right? Now imagine being a part of what this verse says, an entire generation 
will be blessed. Imagine being a part, experiencing the greatest blessings of God. Verse 3 says this, they themselves will be what? Let's all say this aloud. They themselves will be wealthy. That's the word I'm looking for. They themselves. Okay, let's uh, go to the next slide maybe. The children will be successful. Yes, right there. They themselves will be Okay, I love it. I want to come back to this at the end of our, of our message, but as we keep reading, and their good deeds will what? Everybody, I need some help. Last forever, yes. Their good deeds will be made to endure. They will last forever. Their good works will make an eternal difference, and they will be made to endure. So verse four, they are, let's all say it aloud, they are what? They are three words. They are, coming up, survey says, the next verse, here we go. They are, help me out, starts with a G. And righteous. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Imagine that we pass this on to the next generation, that they are people who are generous. We will be a church who will lead the way in rational generosity. That's who we are. We're going to be a generous church, and we're going to care about the next generation. We're going to care about being generous, irrationally generous. And then they are compassionate, caring deeply about the needs of other people, not just about ourselves, and, and, and not bowing down to this culture of idol worship of me, 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 but caring deeply for the needs of others. So they're going to be generous. They're going to be compassionate and righteous. That means they're going to be set apart, set apart for the glory of God. So verse 6b says this, those who are righteous, what's going to happen? Those who are righteous, survey says, one more time, next slide, please. Here we go. uh, Those who are righteous will be what? Those last two words, three words. Be long, one more time, long remembered on the count of three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Long remembered, they will be long remembered. They will be made to endure. It's not a coincidence that we're talking about this, though. It's not a coincidence that we're going through this series of made to endure, about enduring beyond this life, because death is such a real thing, you guys. It's such, and it, you know, I, I did a little statistic searching, and I found out that one out of one people die. I don't know, call me crazy, but I just figured that out. I'm like, wow, this is going to happen. One out of one people are going to pass. So what I want you to do today is I want you to listen to this talk from a point of, as if you're a parent, I want you to think about it as a parent. If you're not a parent, I want you to think about it as uh, a leader. You're like, but I'm not a leader. What are you talking about? Maybe you're like, but I'm a parent, but man, that's way past. I'm like, I have adult kids now. I want you to listen to this as an adult parent of an adult kid now, adults now. I want you to think through this message as you're listening. Even if you don't consider yourself a leader, I want to tell you that you are a leader. Maybe I have failed in passing on that to you because we all are, are, are called to lead people to Jesus. So you are a leader, whether you, you know, think you are or not, but we've all been called to pass this truth on. And so for the next few weeks, as a follower of Christ, I want you to listen through this message as, as, as a parent, as a parent of a child, as a parent of an adult, as a, as a leader, as a follower of Christ, just as a father of Christ. So, so let me give you some foundation. And that's going to help us in the next few weeks. Historians and sociologists have studied for years and noticed a very common trend. 
It's, it's called different things. I, I call it, the, um, I call it the, the problem of the third generation. And basically what they found is that it's incredibly difficult to pass anything on from the first generation to the second generation to the third generation. Actually, I, I, I was talking a little earlier with Lauren and John, and, and we were talking about this, uh, that I had read this article from Harvard Business Review. Not that I normally read Harvard Business Review, but I was doing some research and trying to get me- ready for this message, and I came across this article in Harvard Business Review. And this article was talking about people who are business uh, owners. So if you're a business leader here today, this would be, this would be very uh, uh, beneficial for you to listen to that, that if you're a, a business owner, the business owner uh, starts the business and they have this entrepreneurial spirit, you know, and, and they're, they're working really hard at trying to make this business happen. And then when they go to pass it on to their children to take over the business, the second generation comes along and they sort of just are into like, preserving and protecting the business and making sure that it, managing the business, making sure that it, it, it runs well. Now, they didn't earn, the, they, didn't, they didn't earn it, but they value the business. They didn't make all the sacrifices that the first generation of, uh, you know, business folks made, but they're, they're staying there and they're saying, okay, we're going to keep this. But then when they pass on the third, to the third generation, it, it just kind of Yes, destroys. And so the joke in the first generation, in, in, in the business world, is that the, the first generation builds it, the second generation runs it, and the third generation runs it into the ground, ruins it, and it just folds. And, and, and so there's a lot of explanation for that um, and, you know, it, why that happens. And so I want to share what the challenges are, even to us as, as, as people who have been followers of Jesus, you know, for like, I, I'm a second generation follower of Jesus. But I've, I've decided not to live my life as a second-generation father. My parents were followers of Jesus, and I grew up in the faith. That's what second-generation means. But I grew up in the faith, but I decided that I wasn't going to live my life as a second-generation follower. I was going to live my life as a first-generation follower. And so because, I, because they taught me that, hey, I'm going to pass my faith on to you. My, my parents did. And, and so that's what I, I want to talk about today is how to pass this on. The first generation is marked by strong leadership. You've got an entrepreneurial spirit and you get, you, you know, you, you, you don't play it safe. You can't play it safe because you'll never get anywhere if you play it safe, right? And so you, 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 you're often marked by economic prosperity a lot of times or intellectual progress or spiritual growth. And so that first generation, they don't play it safe but they reap the benefits of it. And then the second generation comes along and they inherit something that they appreciate, but they don't know how to earn. And so because they value it, but they didn't earn it, they just continue in exactly with the momentum. They're trying to continue the momentum that the first generation created. Therefore, they think their goal is to protect what's already happening. And so the second generation comes along and they have very good motives, but they move into this attitude of, okay, let's, let's just make sure that the wheels keep turning and the spins, you know, the tables keeps the, the plates keep spinning and and let's just we value success it's working so let's just keep going let's not change anything and so because they value it what they have but they didn't earn it they try to protect it and then the third generation comes along and all they've seen is someone protecting something right the third generation they see all, all they're doing is just and they're like well that's not inspiring protecting it preserving it that's not really inspiring and so they're like ah give that up because it's just what's so good about protecting and and it's it's not it it doesn't motivate me to keep going it it, there's no vision for something greater no cause beyond uh you know just this moment and so they often reject the values and 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 of those who have gone before them and the third generation is often marked by decline so growth 
strength, preservation, and decline. You see that, you guys? You see that? Growth, strength. It starts to grow, it gets strong, and then preservation happens and it declines. In fact, even as you look at stories throughout the Bible, there are countless numbers of stories where you see this taking place. And I'm reading through the Bible in one year. I'm going through the, the Bible, and I'm in the book of Joshua, and I'm reading, and I'm looking at the life of Joshua right now. And it's really interesting because Joshua was a second generation of faith, of, of leader, right? Because Moses was the first. If you, in case you don't know, Moses was the first generation. Then he passed it on. See the title of this talk? He passed this on to the second generation, Joshua, and Joshua takes it, but what does he do? He doesn't stay, even though he could have said, all right, everything that, that Moses did, we're just going to keep going. If he would have stayed that way, then they never would have possessed the land. And there's a big difference. You know, God had given them this land. And so there's a, a big difference between inheriting something and possessing something. And so Moses had said, look, God has promised us this land, and so we've inherited this land. And Joshua could have been like, all right, cool, so I'm just going to wait and see and see how we're going to, you know, possess this. But the truth is, if you don't go and grab it and be intentional about it, you're never going to possess it. You're just going to, it's supposed to be mine, right? It's supposed to be mine, but I've, I just, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how to, Joshua decided, I'm not going to just sit around. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to do something about this, and that's why he led the people of Israel into battle after battle after battle, and I'm reading, I just read uh, this week how, how they defeated 31 kingdoms. They conquered 31 kings and their kingdoms. Imagine that. Joshua, these group of slaves, right? That's where they come from. They're just these group of, they don't know how to fight, right? They were slaves from Egypt, and then they're walking around, and, and they're meeting these other nations, and they're fighting against them, and they're winning 31 times. They've won battles, and, and so they didn't just inherit something. They fought for it and took risks and they battled for it and they won it and they possessed it. So there's a big difference between inheriting and possessing. And that's what first generation people do. First generation fight for it and they, they, they fight. They, they're, they're just not going to sit around and just wait for something to come around. So Joshua, he passes on. After Moses passes on, he passes this leadership and this, this faith on to Joshua. And Joshua is getting ready to pass on and he passes it on to these people called the judges. And so what transpires, though, is that all of a sudden, it becomes second generation. And, and they're, they're just looking at what they've, because they've fought all these battles, and now they have possessed the land. So they're like, let's make sure we keep it. Let's manage it. Let's make sure that it doesn't get any, you know, we, we don't lose anything. So let's just make sure we keep this momentum going, because we don't have to fight anymore. There's no more battles we have to win. So we're just going to continue to keep these battles. There's, they're, they, they're fighting, but there's no great battles like they had in the past. And they move into this preservation, and the worship of God becomes half hearted and then they're too busy keeping the things that they have and they're not focusing on worshiping the God the, the, the God that, that took them out of Egypt the God that did all these miracles they're not focused on that and so different judges pass on and more judges come along and so second generation of leaders and second generation of faith turns into a third generation of faith and leaders and then we have this passage here where they're half-hearted worship and they're like look we've heard of, uh, of God but who is that guy anyway I mean, we're so far removed. Yeah, he took the people out of Egypt, but what has he done for me these days? 
right? There, there's no belief in, their, in this God anymore. Yeah, he's the God that took, but, but what has he done for me? And so the scripture there in Judges 21, 25, it describes this third generation this way, and you can look it up in the big screen behind me if you'd like, and it says, in those days, Israel had no king. They're saying, look, there's no more first generation leader. They had no king. There's no second generation leader anymore. And and what did the people do? Let's all say it aloud. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. From the first generation being passionate and being faithful and following God, knowing their God, following, you know, because, you know, the truth is that you don't know what you have, or you don't know what you need until God is all you have, right? You don't know that, that God is all you need when God is all, until God is all you have. When you realize that, then you're like, you know what, I do need this. So that's that first generation faith. When you've been forgiven much, that's why Jesus said whoever's been forgiven much loves much because they understand that they've, they've gone through some things and God has said, no, 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 I, it's on the cross and his mercy is, so it's that first generation faith and these people, they forgot about that. They know what it's like, this first generation of faith of believers, they know what it's like to, to, to get pulled out of that filth and that mud and that mire and, that, and so they're they understand the grace and the love of God and that second generation and that third generation they've lost sight of that and so that's why I believe if we're not going to pass first generation of faith to our next generation you guys then it's we're, we're, we're setting them up for failure if we don't pass on this first generation of faith to this next generation and beyond, it's, it's not going to last. If we're going to be successful and pass this on, we, we, we don't pass the value of the faith on to future generations unless we are intentional about it. It's not going to happen by accident. We've got to pass our values on if we want it to endure. I believe that God, that's what God wants for us. God gave us this grace of being forgiven and this knowledge of salvation so we wouldn't keep it to ourselves. Can somebody say yes? So we wouldn't keep it to ourselves, but that we would pass this on so that it can endure and be made to endure for generations to come. Can somebody say yes to that? And so what I want to do in this next little segment is I want to talk to you about three big challenges that I'm going to say my generation, our generation, our first generation uh, of faith believers have in imparting values to those who are younger. This, um, we're going to talk about this, the challenge of passing this on. Now, I don't know if you know, there's a guy, his name is Dr. Bob Barnes, Dr. Barb Barnes. Maybe you've heard of him before. He is the director of a place down here in South Florida called Sheridan House, and he is an expert um, on marriage and parenting. He's, he's, I, I've, I've gone to his conference. I've, I've, I've heard him speak. I enjoy listening to him. He's, 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 he's gone throughout North America, and, and I've, I, I think he has some really good stuff. He's written a few books, and I've gone through, and I've picked out three things. I've kind of took them from him, just so you know, in case you come across, you're like, that sounds like what? I, I picked it up from him, all right? There's three. He has a, way more than three. He has a bunch, but I picked three that I think are the biggest challenges that my my first generation has in passing this on and imparting values and faith to the next generation. So I want to talk about these, and I believe they're important. And so the first one, if you're taking notes, is that we are too safe. We're too safe. In fact, I'm going to give you some examples of how we are too safe. And if you remember this or you can relate to this, I just want you to raise your hand um, and say, yeah, I remember that. Um, so everybody, why don't we just practice everybody raising your hand? 
I'm left-handed, so I'm going to ask you to raise your left hand. Is that okay? I'm left-handed. We're going to honor our left-handed folks here. Okay, okay, you can put your hands down. All right, so, so, uh, so uh, if you can relate to this, maybe you're my age or a little bit older, that's okay. Maybe you can relate to this a little bit because the 20-year-olds in the house are going to be like, what, that really happened? Yes, that really happened, okay? Yes, we did that. Sometimes we play it too safe. For example, those of you who are on, um, around my age or a little bit older, that means you too, Ayube, my age or a little bit older. You're not that I'm older, but you too over there, okay? Um, 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 and so uh, transportation, you know, you probably walked to school. Anybody walked to school or took public transportation to get to school? I'm not talking about that yellow cheese bus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about public transportation, or you walk to school. Okay, I, I see some hands, 20-year-olds. Check it out. We had to walk to school or, or take public transportation to get to school. All right. Some of you, you've actually dove off of a high dive. Anybody in my generation, a little, okay, I got a few takers, and you guys are like, what's a high dive? What's that? The 20-year-olds are a high dive? What is that? I'm telling you. All right. How many of you, um, you, you were allowed to play outside? in your neighborhood with no cell phone or pager and your only rule was just come home by dark anybody else okay okay any takers i know those were crazy days back then look at my eyes they were crazy days back then and 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 not even to talk about the lack of safety um, rules that we had in cars. And I, I'm not a proponent of this. Uh, I'm just telling you, if you're around my age and you played either t-ball or you were going on a road trip with your friends, you probably rode behind the back seat, the last row of, of seats in your car. That, that space is not really the trunk, but it's that space between the door and the seat. And all the kids would ride in the backpack part of it. Any takers on that? All right, we got a few p- folks. Yes. Yes, that's the way it was. There was no seat. I mean, they were there, but who used seatbelts back in the day? Nobody wore seatbelts. And I'm not advocating for this, you guys, but you'd sit in the front seat and you never had a seatbelt. Why? Because mama was your seatbelt, right? Kapoom, poom. And you, you never had to worry about a seatbelt. You would just have that impact of that hand. Whenever there was a stop, it was the only mark you had was that Mark from your mom putting it on your chest that you weren't going anywhere. We didn't use seatbelts back then either. And so I'm not saying that's the way it should be, but now, man, we're going to play it safe. And not just play it safe, but play it too safe and keep any kind of risk from happening. And so what are we going to do? We're going to remove playground equipment from the playground so none of, nobody breaks their arm and nobody gets hurt. And then teachers are not allowed to, to correct anything in red pen because we don't want the kids to feel offended. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt somebody's psyche. And, and so we're going to make sure that no one ever loses, right? Before, I, I had to like win to get a trophy. Now that doesn't happen, right? Now if you just show, you could suck and show up and you get a trophy, right? It's true. You just show up and you get, so what's happened? We've protected that next generation so much from normal things. We've kept them from experiencing the blessing of failing. Now, college professors, they say that 18-year-olds are, 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 are reluctant to fill out a job application because they feel like, but it's too risky. What, what, what if I don't get hired? I mean, what, what if I'm afraid for the interview because what if I don't get it? 
I mean, if I mess up on the application, I don't get, I mean, that's what professors are saying. And honestly, there are a lot of 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds who, who would rather not drive now. They say, well, you know, it's just the roads. You know, it's just, there's a lot of crazy drivers out there. And there are. In Miami, there's a lot of crazy drivers out there. But this is 60. I don't want to drive. It just seems a little bit fearful for me. It's not safe enough for me to drive on my own. We've protected them and we've robbed them of the blessing of failing. And we all know that our faith becomes real when it gets tested and our values become our own when we go through some trouble and we have some trials in our life and it becomes meaningful when it gets tested. Now, I'm not saying we should go crazy, okay? I, I don't want them to go back, you know, to the days when I remember surfing on top of a, the top of a car. I would surf, you know, as the top. I'm not saying we should do that, but I, I, I'm saying that we should not, you know, put the helmet on the child and the knee pads and the elbow pads if they're just going to get the mail outside. You understand? There's, there's, there's a balance there, right? We gotta, we, we, there's a balance there of, of failing and testing and trials and, and going through something when it becomes real, playing it too safe. The second thing is that we take them off the hook too quickly. We take the second generation off the hook too quickly. When they get in trouble, they didn't do their science project. So what does mom do? She stays up till 11 o'clock at night and, and there am I cutting this plastic Coke bottle up and putting it together and trying to, or oh, they forgot their, their lunch money and so dad takes off of work and drives 45 minutes to, to bring them the, oh, I forgot my sweater. It's cold in the school. Can you, and so dad's got to jump, mom's got to take off of work and run over and bring, instead of letting them be, go hungry for a day. Or letting them be cold for a day so that they remember, hey, you know what? I think I got to bring that. Make sure I don't forget my money or my sweater. Or, you know, I remember when, when now kids, they get in school and, and, and they get in trouble and mom and dad go right down there. They're like, oh, my wanchi, no, he would never do that. My wanchi, no, 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 no. I, I know he's in trouble, but no, 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 that's not my wanchi. Man, when I was in school, if my parents got a call from the school, oh, Abdi did that? Listen, you have my permission. Spank him. And then when we get there, we're going to spank him on top of that in front of his class so he can know not to do that anymore. I mean, that's, that's what they did. Now, I'm not saying that this is the way to solve problems, but we've taken them off the hook too quickly. And now, because we've taken them off the hook so easily, whenever there's trouble, they're like, well, let's just go back home. Let's go back to mom and dad, and, and, and they'll take care of us. In fact, I read an article about this that says 85% of those under the age of 32 will move back home at least one time after the age of college. 85%. And what's crazy is those who are young, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, I should go home. It's free rent, right? I mean... And what's crazy is this, I remember when, you know, at my age, when I was 24 years old, if anybody moved back home, it was like, we're making fun of you. You know, what the heck, you, moved, you had to go back home? What, what is that about? You came back home, you're 28, so you can play video games all day and not work and have mama be your sugar mama and dad be your sugar daddy and, and, and provide for you so you can support you. What are we doing? We're taking them off the hook too quickly and we're rescuing them too quickly. Imagine this, the son ru runs away, and the prodigal son, what did they do? What did the father not do, actually? The father didn't run after him and take him off the hook and rescue him. The father loved him enough, the kid took the money, and he ran. He blew it, right? He blew it all. He's living with pigs. He's in bad shape, 
And the father loved him enough not to rescue him so the son could come to the natural consequences of what? Of sinful, bad decisions. So that on his own, he could, what the scripture says, he could come to his what? His senses and say, man, there's no way I'm going to keep doing this. This is not a way to live. We're protecting the future generation from the natural consequences of bad decisions. And we're handicapping them. We're causing their development to atrophy when they could be doing so much more. And and we're trying to protect them from what will actually help them. We teach them to play it too safe. We, We take them off the hook too quickly. And number three is this. We give out awards too frequently. We give out awards too frequently. We give them something instead of letting them actually earn it. We give it to them with good motives because, hey, you know, we want to help them. But the better thing to do is to let them earn it, right? Let them work for it. And again, I'm going to give you a slight overstatement. I'm going to say this, and it's a slight overstatement. But there might be people in the house today that this is really, this is an understatement. But here it is. A child gets an allowance at the age of seven, and then when they're 10 years old, they get a $100 pair of shoes because why? Everybody else has those shoes and we don't want little Wanchi to feel left out, so we got to give them the same pair of shoes. And then when they're 12, they get a mobile phone, right? Because everybody else, ha- I remember having lunch with a family and I don't think the child was even 11 years old and he had the latest, greatest iPhone and I'm looking at him and I'm like, What? He's not even 11 years old, and I can't, I want one of those, and I can't even, I can afford it, and he's got, I don't get this. I remember that, you know, and then we have kids at the age of 16, they get a what? A car that none of which they worked for, none of which they worked for. They have no chores at home. They're, They're never earned a dollar on their own. It's entirely unfair to them because we're training them that everything comes very easily to them. It's just easy. It's no wonder. Then one day when they're 24 and they're not satisfied and they're, they're wondering, well, I, this isn't fair. My parents have all, why can't I have all this stuff that you worked 30 years to get and sacrifice to achieve? Therefore, well, let me get into debt to, to and then they get handicapped for their future, right? Because we haven't helped them. We haven't effectively passed on these kinds of values of earning and working and these trials and failures and errors to get back up and earn it and lose everything, right? You lose everything and then you got to get right back up and you struggle. Basically and essentially what we've done is in our modern day culture, maybe one of our biggest issues is that we've bowed down to the worship at the altar of, of what we think is fair, what we think brings us pleasure, Oh, you know, we, we got to be fair. We just want you to be happy. We just want our little baby to, to enjoy. We, we, we just want them to have more than we had, right? Who does? I, as a parent, that's what I want. I want them, but we want them to smile all the time. We want them to be satisfied. Whatever makes you sad, we're going to protect you from anything and everything that would momentarily not make you satisfied. We just want you to be content. In fact, we're going to model it for you, right? We're, we're, if we can't afford it, and we think we should have it, then what are we going to do? We're going to put it on credit and pay 18% of interest because we don't think it's fair that we don't have it and we should have it. And oh yeah, we're going to promise before God to, to be faithful to this person for better or for worse, right? And, and, and as long as we both shall live and as long as they both make us what? 
happy because if they're not, then we're not going to keep our promise because surely God wants me to be happy, right? I mean, isn't that what he says in his word? He says, be happy like I am happy. Isn't that what it says? Oh, wait, did I misquote that verse? No, I think it says, be what? Holy as I am holy. And yet we worship the idol of happiness and what God wants us to be holy before we are happy. And see, here's the problem. When we pursue satisfaction and fairness and, and, and it's always elusive, you try it. Man, if I just had more money and so we work, and some of us here have worked on that, trying to get more money. We get it. We get more money. We're like, yes, I'm there. And what happens? It's always, it's never enough. And we keep trying to get more that one day you make it. You're like, oh, I'm not quite as happy about this anymore. And so if if I only had somebody different, we start thinking, man, if this person would make me happy. So you divorce that person and, and you go to someone else, but you're still not happy. Why? Because you're continuing with you. You brought you. You keep bringing you. You're like, oh, but if I just had more Facebook friends, if I just had more likes on my Instagram, if I just had more followers on my Twitter account, right? If I just had more friends at school who liked me or, or if, if I just, you know, people would be happy with me if I just, I, I wish I had a different car. Listen, you pursue those things and it becomes elusive because it doesn't last. You think that's the goal, but it's never the goal. The goal is pleasing God. Can somebody say yes? And don't miss this happiness joy, contentment is a byproduct of a life well-lived for the glory of God. That tagline we said about this series, endurance is not just the ability to bear hard thing, but to turn it into glory, to live for the glory of God. You see, when you're serving God, there's a deep sense of fulfillment. And there's, there's an abiding joy. There's an abiding peace. You become part of this generation that we read earlier in Psalm 112 that is experiencing the greatest blessings of God. You're experiencing this. And what, sh- what will they be? We read it earlier. They will be, starts with the C, the first word, three, th- or actually the first word is G, starts with a G. Well, it is those three things. Help me out. Generosity, compassionate, and righteous. Say it again. Generosity, compassionate, and righteous. When we pass this on and we impart values and we're spirit-led generosity to the next generation, guess what? There is joy in that. There is contentment in that. There's peace in that. Because when we're using what we have to make a difference in someone else's life, we're saying it's, it's not about me. It's a byproduct. Uh, this gratitude, it's, it's just this deep sense because you're like, it's about this other person, compassionate. When we're caring about other people, guess what the society says? It says it's all about me, 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 just think about you, just think about, it's all about you, but being compassionate is thinking about someone else, thinking about others, thinking about, and thinking about later, not just today, not just tomorrow, not just two years from now, but thinking about five, and 10, and 20, and 30, and when you're not here, and your kids, and when your kids are not here, and their kids are, that's what this is talking about. When you're compassionate, you're thinking about later. You're thinking about how is this going to happen? How can I build for later? How can I pass this on from my third generation child to love God? How can I do that? And when you start working on that, there's a deep joy and fulfillment in that. It becomes, there's a peace in that. It becomes a byproduct. And then righteousness. When you're living set apart for the glory of God, listen, people, people will make fun of you. They will say, I don't get it. I don't understand why you're doing that. 
I can't believe you're deciding to, d- to do this. And you're saying, no, I'm going to live a righteous life. See, righteousness means you have right relationships. That's what righteousness means. With God and with others, you, you live righteously. You live, that's, when you start doing that, it, it, then joy and peace becomes a byproduct. You don't seek joy. You don't seek peace. You don't seek contentment. You start doing this generosity. You start doing this, this compassion. You start doing this righteousness. And so how do we do that? I'm not going to tell you today. You got to come next week. You got to come next week. We're going to talk about this, but we're setting the table. We're setting the table for the weeks to come, and I want you to just, I want to show you where we're going in the weeks to come so you have an idea. And again, I want you to hear this as a parent if you're a parent. But even if you're just a follower of Christ, I don't have any kids. That's okay. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in this church, I believe with all my heart you have a calling to pass this truth on, to pass this on and impart spiritual life to the next generation. In fact, if you're not serving in our kids' church, or if you're not serving with our student ministries, I would simply ask you, why not? Why not? Why are you not serving and and imparting and ministering to the next generation? Why, after all you've experienced, why, after all the grace you have been given, all the blessings that God has done in your life, why would you keep that to yourself and not pass that faith along? And to tell a four-year-old who may not hear it at home, hey, just how much God loves them, teach a 15-year-old that they may not have a father figure and be an image of, of a godly man or a godly woman in the life of a teenager, to come along a single mom who's working two jobs and has three kids and trying their best to raise these kids and you get to be a support a voice of support to them to show hey the kids that god loves them and that mom that god loves them and help lift them up because because they can they need that they need that strength in their lives and and sometimes they can't make it on their own a lot of most of the time they can't make it on their own and they they need that to come along other christian parents and speak that truth into their children because sometimes what the parents say doesn't get listened to, but what this outside voice comes in and says, they, it resonates and it sticks with them. I know that's happened in my life and you get to light up the next generation. It would be my dream, I, hear you t- I want you guys to hear me today, it would be my dream in this church that we would have a waiting list of people who are antsy. I just want to serve in the kids' church. I can't wait to serve with the students. I just, I, I can't, and you're just hoping I get picked. I hope I get picked to serve in the kids' church next. I hope I get picked to serve with the, with the student ministries, because I, I just want to help prepare this next generation. Can I, somebody say yes? It's quiet in here. All right, let me show you where we're going these next few weeks. Next week, next week, where we're going is we're going to continue in this Psalm 112. We're going to continue to look at this. And we're going to look at the part of the verse that says, they will be wealthy and their good deeds will be known forever. I think what we need to do is we need to help this generation. We need to help them financially. And there's a problem a lot of times in our Christian circles that we think having wealth is a bad thing, that it's an evil thing. And I would say if we thought that, then what happens with the people who are wealthy and they're not believers? Then the other side gets funded and the believing side doesn't get funded. We, we need, it is not a bad thing to, to, I think it's so ridiculous for people to think to have money is wrong. It's not wrong. That's how we fund the kingdom. And so I believe the issue is that many people have a deep love of money. That's the issue. And as followers of Jesus, we're, not gonna, we're taught not to do that. And we're not going to love money. See, a lot of people, they love money and they use people. We're going to do it differently. 
See, we're going to do it differently. We're, we're going to love people and use money to make a difference in the world. And there's nothing wrong with living beneath your means so that you can invest it wisely and leverage what you have to make a difference in this world. And the reality is that my generation, many of us, we need to learn to do that. We need to learn to get out of debt and teach this next generation because they have no idea. It's because they haven't been trained and they don't even understand what debt does. They don't know how bad debt is, how to leverage money, and so we have to teach them. And see, that's what we're going to talk about next week. And then we're going to talk about creating a hunger for first-generation faith, having a hunger for first-generation faith. If you're a father of Christ, you need to see yourself as a first-generation of faith believer and follower. You do not want your children or those who come after you, behind you, to have second-generation of faith or third-generation. You want them to have first-generation stories. So when they, when they talk about the Bible, they're like, look, let me tell you what I was reading this morning in my devotional time, and when I read this verse and it jumped out at me, I remember where I was when I heard God say to me. I remember when I was praying and God answered my prayer. I remember when God used me to make a difference. I remember what I was doing when when the the pages of the Bible jumped out and spoke to me. That's first-generation faith, you guys. You're following me? It's first-generation stories that help us build them into having a divine calling to make a difference in this world. And then we're going to cultivate an inner push and a relentless enthusiasm, an inner push and a relentless enthusiasm. A lot of people are hard on the younger generation, and I have nothing but belief in the next generation because they are the most cause-driven, the most mission-minded generation in history. They care so much about other people that they want to make a difference. And so you know, all I want to do is remove the obstacles and just give them resources and give them the tools and say, go for it. You can do more than I did. You can do it. I want them to develop an inner push and a relentless enthusiasm. How are we going to do that? Very simply, we're going to expose them to the presence and the power of, of of God in the local church. Listen, when you get this, when you understand the presence and the power of God in the local church, it, we're, you're going to experience in the context of Christian community, the presence of God, your, your, your lives revolve around it, and you're going to see God move, and you're going to be exposed to, to the needs of the world through the eyes of Christ. And we're going to take them out of the realm of a materialistic, prosperous bubble of just thinking about yourself and help them see places in the world where people have nothing and help them see the deep needs. And they're going to be a, there's going to be a brokenness and a longing to do something about it, to meet the needs of the world. And through the love of Christ, this will be life transforming for them. And then we're going to expose them to the thrill of being used by God when God sets you apart and he does something through them. And what I'm saying is we're going to expose them to to the power of God and believe that God can do more than we did. And let me finish with this verse. This is King David, the father of Solomon. And this is to his son Solomon, who's soon to become king after David. And this verse says, And Solomon, my son, it's 1 Chronicles 28, Learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. You guys, that's first-generation faith. That's not second-generation faith. That's not third-generation faith. It's not the God you heard about. It's your God. Learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve Him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thoughts. If you seek Him, son you will find him. 
That's what we gotta tell the first generation, that, that, that generation that comes on to us. This is how we pass this on. We tell them, if you seek him, you will find him. And then he says, so take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. It's a father saying to a son, listen, I couldn't do this. I wanted to. That, that was in my heart to do. I, I wanted to do this. But it's, it's one generation saying to the next generation, listen, you can even do more than I did. You can be strong. You have what it takes. I'm not going to help you. I'm just going to commission you. I'm going to let you do. You seek God and know him. Do what he's called you to do. Be strong and do even more for his glory. See, that's how we're, we're going to be made to endure. This is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to pass this on. This is how we're going to impart what I believe and I hope you will do even more than I can. You can do it. Can somebody say yes?